Hi, welcome to Design with Purpose, a show created by designers for anyone seeking guidance in the complex world of design. Hosted by myself, Dina Duffick, and my co-host, Colton Bryant. The goal of our show is to explore the ins and outs of interior design through personal experience, credible research, and professional guests. Here you will learn about the current trends and history behind certain design styles, as well as the psychology of well-designed spaces. Thanks for listening to Design with Purpose. Be sure to add us to your library and follow us on Instagram at designwith.purpose. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast today. We're so glad you're back. We're glad to be here. We've got myself, Dina Duffick, Colton Bryant, and today joining us is Susan Shepardson. Susan. Hello, Susan. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Just for a little background, Susan has worked in the field of child development education for 40 years. For the past 20 years of her career, she has merged education with space design. Her interest and passion in education design was initially sparked by a tour of a Reggio Emilia-inspired school in San Francisco. Since then, she has been curating environmental research, training educators in designing classrooms, children's bedrooms, playrooms, teacher lounges, and student wellness centers. In 1997, Susan started selling educational furnishings for a national corporation. She assisted clients with the classroom and playground design, product selection, and trained adults on how to optimize learning spaces. Since this time, Susan has designed numerous indoor-outdoor learning environments and trained thousands of adults. In 2008, she started her own design firm and called herself the Play Architect. From 2010 until 2015, Susan volunteered for Make-A-Wish, designing children's bedrooms and playrooms. As an educator, Susan is passionate about teaching and training adults. For over a decade, she has taught part-time at several colleges and universities. Her areas of expertise include child development, developmental screening, social emotional learning, play, trauma-informed practices, mental health, wellness, and curriculum planning and implementation. Susan strongly believes in being a good steward of the earth and tries to practice slow consumerism. She loves to reduce, reuse, and repurpose items. About three years ago, she embarked on yet another business venture and became a vintage retailer. She has a shop in Old Town Orange, California, and also sources vintage goods for interior designers and retail stores. Susan holds a BS degree in social science from Chapman University and an MS degree in child development from the University of Laverne and a career and technical educational credential from Orange County Department of Education. She recently completed a year-long apprenticeship with the Center of Optimal Brain Integration on Trauma-Responsive and Resilience-Building Practices. In her spare time, she loves to travel, be in the company of friends and families, create art, and explore nature. She has a strong sense of wonder and curiosity, an attribute she's had since childhood. Wow, Susan, that's quite the bio, and we are so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, and hearing that back, it's... It's impressive. It's imp- I, it makes me, I want to kind of stop and dissect your bio and go through each line of that, and I think we're going to do that on the podcast today, because I... I, I do want to dig into some of these things and how you kind of got to where you are. And mm-hmm. you're, you know, you and I have known each other. Let's see, we started a partnership in some of these trauma informed design arenas that we'll get to. I guess it's been a little over a year, maybe 
it's, it, it's long enough that I'm, I'm starting to get to know you and I really value the conversations that we've had so much so that we wanted to have you on today. It's pretty impressive, not only everything that you've accomplished and where you are to date, but also all the things you're still doing. You're one of those people that amazes me because it's like each time I talk to you, you're like a walking fun fact. <laughs> There's all this cool factoids that come out. And I'm like, oh my God, I could spend hours talking to you. It leads me to kind of start at the top of that bio. You know, I feel like some people, some careers are more callings than they are mm -hmm. careers. That's funny that you're saying that because in prep for this, I thought that would be one of the things that I would talk about that I've always believed this is my calling. Mm -hmm. And I love that versus a career. Yeah. And some people don't have it, I don't think. I don't know if maybe that calling didn't come to them. But it. I have always referred to my profession as my calling. Yeah, I can see that mm -hmm. because you're so passionate. And it's so, and I do, I think there's certain careers that you go into that are just calling. Mm -hmm. I feel the same way about what I do. Mm -hmm. But I also look at other careers, you know, I feel like to be a nurse, mm -hmm. to be there's to be an educator, to be certain things, I feel like it, I feel like that has to be a calling mm -hmm. because the rewards don't always equal, right? <laughs> you know, the work right. that goes into it. But I feel like like when did you know that this was your calling? When did you know that you were, you know, intended to work? Not only are you an educator, clearly you're much more than that, but when which we're gonna dive into, but what you're doing to educate other educators and to create these safe spaces. Like when did you, know, when did you know this was your calling? Even, well, even early on, when did you know, right. you know, when you were working um, with the littles, the littles, that would be, if I separate education from design, I knew when I was a little that I wanted to be a teacher mm -hmm. and my family would be at social gatherings and I maybe five or six years old, I would go over to where the babies and the toddlers were and sort of start mothering them. Mm. Not smothering them, but mothering <laughs> them. <laughs> Sorry, that just... <laughs> um, and uh, she's funny too. Yeah. And so, and then I would line my dolls up and I would play teacher. I think a lot of people or go through that maybe, or children play like they're a teacher. But I truly wanted to grow up and be a teacher. Side note, my grandmother, who was one of my biggest influences in my life, was a country school teacher in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that, though, until I was older. And she shared that story with me. But uh, then once I went into education, I was always artistic. I grew up with a mother who was very artistic and used to have me sit still and, as a five you know, six, seven, eight-year-old and uh, sketch me, sketch my portraits. Mm, cool. And she always had us doing, you know, arts and crafts. As a child, I didn't sit in front of a television mm -hmm. and I was always creative. And so when I started as a school teacher, I, I and think reflecting back, knowing I was coming on your podcast today, the walls were very important to me. They were like blank canvases. Mm -hmm. And I always decked out my classroom in a beautiful way. And I didn't realize that at the time what that was leading to. And so I think about how the two merged education and design in a very organic way. And it just so, sort of unfolded naturally. And one of the 
biggest influences I had was going to a Reggio Emilia inspired school in mm -hmm. San Francisco. And at that point, I had already had 20 years in education. And a friend of mine moved from Chicago to Palm Springs, where I was working. And she told me about these Reggio Emilia inspired schools. And she said, you need to go see one. On her recommendation, I went to this one in San Francisco. And it blew my mind. And it forever changed my view of what a classroom would look like. And from there, I also, as you mentioned in my bio, I had a short stint as a sales representative for a school supply company, mm -hmm. and I sold furniture, I sold playgrounds, and I had to basically learn on the job um, how to help customers design their classrooms mm -hmm. and help them pro you know, select products and... It just sort of evolved. I could keep talking. I don't know if you want no, me to stop no, because this is great. Okay. I love it. I, I think I did want to touch back though. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, you know, early on when you were a little girl, you'd have mm -hmm. the classrooms. And, you know, I know how interested you are in science and history and mm -hmm. some of the things we talk about when we're together. But I read one time that you, most kids know by around the age of five what they're supposed to be doing if you really listen. Like I look mm, back and yes. I was drawing and painting. My sister was the one that had the classroom. She is not a teacher in the traditional sense, but she now mm -hmm. does teach breath work and things like that. But I do think that that there is something there, especially those of us that have this innate calling mm -hmm. that shows up really early on. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that you were able to see that. I didn't think I was going to go into teaching, but I knew I loved working around children. Mm -hmm. And so that, yeah, that's what drew me to working with children. I think I love too that you have been able to, I think one of the most interesting things when we talk is that you've been able to really level up this classroom design idea. And I've heard you talk about it in a number of instances, but talk to us a little bit about where that creative spark began. You just touched on it briefly, mm -hmm. but with regard to the change that you could bring to your classrooms and what that looked like after you visited the Emilio Reggio mm -hmm. School. Mm -hmm. Did I say that right? The rest of right. backwards. Reggio, Reggio Emilio, Emilio yeah. School. Can you kind of trace that timeline back to where you are today? Because I know we've kind of catapulted, and I think you're, I, I use the term level up, because you mm -hmm. really are leveling this up like to where we all need to be, what we need to be thinking about with our classrooms, with our offices. Mm -hmm. As I've told you, we're now putting it in, using a lot of these techniques and into some of our other design, we've talked about veterinary clinics, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Talk to us a little bit about that transition of just educator into paying attention to the design and what that meant. Yeah, it's interesting you just said level up too, because and how you just described that. Because I think in the beginning, it start it was infuriating me that classrooms were sort of behind the times, or they didn't there wasn't enough attention paid to like neuroscience, what we know about human beings and in their surroundings. And just they seem to be stuck in a an area where you, I don't know, sorry, I'm going to. No, this is good. I f don't you feel on some level that we are kind of still stuck? I don't yes, know that we've yes. really dug as it's, deep as we need to right. from a design perspective. Yes, I think that looking at traditional classrooms. Okay, maybe that's mm -hmm. where I'm going with this. There's a traditional look. And even if you watch a movie or a show and they're going to 
put this traditional look of a classroom and who says that that has to be a classroom and a lot of times it's consumerism that played into it because I've done research and I have photos from the 1900s of classrooms and what they look like and believe it or not they were very beautiful and organic and one even has a sandbox inside the classroom and so I think I was ahead of like the curve and and just thinking why not? And I've always been an outside of the box person, very open-minded. So I'm trying to get that out there, just changing people's perspectives, one educator at a time or one person at a time. But going back to the Reggio Emilia school, and I can share this story with you that I had seen several Reggio Emilia inspired schools and they're very organic. They use a lot of let's say reclaimed wood, like they might have tree stumps for stools. They use vintage items and repurpose things. And I thought, well, isn't this cool? Isn't this interesting? I know they're very into the environment and nature. But then I heard a story about the original startup of the school itself in Italy, in the Emilia region, that's what Reggio Emilia means in Northern Italy. And right after World War II, the parents got together in this little region and they never wanted war to happen again. And it was just right after the Nazis left their, their area and they decided to build a school. And literally the mothers went and took bricks from bombed out buildings and actually scrubbed these bricks, brick by brick. And fathers on the weekend would go find scrap wood and they literally built their first school from scraps from bombed out buildings wow. and sold. The Nazis had just really fled quickly and left some of their equipment, their tanks and things, and sold that for an additional some additional dollars to help um, found the first school. And then the first school teacher, he rode his bike over. He heard from the village next door what was going on, and he rode his bicycle over, and this is Loris Malaguzzi. And that's how it all started in the um, 1940s. But when I connected the dots, I thought that must be why they're really into using repurposed organic materials because of the startup and the material. They basically had nothing and developed this out of using what was scraps, mm -hmm. basically. Wow. See, this is why I like hanging out with you. <laughs> Every time we're together, it's just, I mean... Fun fact, I could go down a, a deep dive just on that alone. On that, I know. You know what makes me think of Robinson Crusoe? Is that it? Rob, Robinson Crusoe? You know that story yeah, when you're a kid? Yeah. I, I don't know. Just being a kid and playing and whatever you had around yes. you. There's actually a book called Rocks of Boxing where kids are outside playing and, and they just take things and it's their imagination and they build a, a space, mm -hmm. a, an actual house and they it's all make-believe, you know, mm -hmm. and it's all stuff they have in their environment. I did want to circle back on what we were just talking about when you said, you know, I was maybe a little ahead of my time thinking mm -hmm. about things. You know, I, as you know, I, I run into that a lot in the world that we work in, especially when we're trying to do something different. So, for instance, I've mentioned recently, you know, working on some veterinarian hospitals or doctor's offices, that kind of stuff. When we're working in those spaces, we're also trying to bring in some of the the well-spaced type mentality that we've been doing with the schools. We've, we've also been trying to be forward thinking with doing things differently. And what we run up against is, well, but it, it's not, that's not how it's done. Yeah. This is not, that's not, that's cute. 
designer, but that's not how it's done. Mm-hmm. So then I'll throw some science out and say, okay, mm-hmm. that might might not be how it was done in the past, but this this science and this data is showing that in the future we should start thinking about this, you know, whether it's color psychology mm-hmm. or furniture placement or the walls. You and I have talked about curved walls or curved mm-hmm. rooms, that kind of things. I think that because it's never been done before mm-hmm. scares a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say it's not the right way to do it. I mean, being, you know, a pathfinder is difficult and it's challenging, but then we have to do it to get to, to Mm -hmm. actually level Mm -hmm. up. Right. Right. So I think when you say that it strikes such a deep chord and resonates so loudly that I really understand. I mean, and I don't think we're even anywhere near where we need to be Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. regard to thoughtfulness of especially some of these spaces that are so, I mean, classrooms, Mm -hmm. you know, that are so, these kids are so fragile. They need all the help that they can get. Yes. Yes. And I I do not know where the idea came from that they look so cold and very uninviting. They're very uh, sterile and um, a lot of hard surfaces. And uh, well, I just... was it you and I talking that school design originated from a prison? Uh, the same people, some were... of the same designers designed yeah. prisons as um, public schools. I Absolutely. think that's yes. very clearly where yes. it came yes. from. <laughs> and I think what you said about bringing in science, I. Early on, I started developing trainings for educators, and and also I couldn't find a lot of research out there that was specific to schools, um, classrooms. So I would just pull from other sources and say, well, if this is good anywhere, this color, lighting, sound, it can apply in the educational arena. But I knew early on that to the vel- validate what I was, I kind of intuitively knew, but Mm -hmm. to validate it, I had to collect the research. Mm -hmm. I had to collect. So I say, I always curate Mm -hmm. these studies and the research and that's what educators need. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know about other customers that you work with, but I can see that when you're talking about the veterinarian clinic and doing something different, Mm -hmm. if you bring research and show them what, what you're doing and it's not just, Oh, this looks great mm-hmm. or you know i have this brand new idea let's try it out but that no i i yeah i think that's one of the things you and i kind of bonded on originally mm-hmm. we're both big i'm i call myself a research nerd mm-hmm. I, I just love research mm-hmm. and i love data i, lo- yes, I think data. it speaks for mm-hmm. itself so i love anytime i can pull out the data card mm-hmm. <laughs> go, well that's right that's great but here's this yes and then I, you know, even if it's something I might not know mm-hmm. a lot about, I'm the first one to dig in and say, I don't know, but I'm going to do mm-hmm. research right. and I'm going to find out. And I'm going to bring science and research to the table mm-hmm. to show why this is the better design approach as opposed to it, it's just a good idea and it looks pretty. Mm-hmm. That's never worked for me. Right. I just don't. I mean, aesthetically, yes. I mean, I think we can all create mm-hmm. spaces that that look nice, right. but I think there's more to it when you really start to think about the psychology of design and what mm-hmm. goes into it from a elements and principles standpoint and really just a, an elevated design. Mm-hmm. I think what we're doing is laying the groundwork for future success of human beings. Mm-hmm. And it's so much bigger than just creating pretty surroundings. Right. And if you can look at it on this really deep, you know, meaningful level mm-hmm. that we're all connected even this table, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
And I think that's where you and I connect Mm because we're both kind of think through that same lens. Right. I think that's one of the magical things about bringing science and data Mm -hmm. (laughs) into design because it can really transform not just spaces, but people. Right. Yes, I agree. So along those lines, another reason that I really, really love spending time chatting with you and what we've been, the projects that we've been working on, which we'll talk about, is our discussions around trauma-informed design. Mm-hmm. You know a lot about it, and I, I don't feel like there's enough out there about it. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like there's enough conversations happening about it. And let's start with this. Why don't you tell us your definition of trauma-informed design or your experience and the research that you've done surrounding trauma-informed design. Why don't you just lay the groundwork for us? All right. Well, I recently completed a year-long apprenticeship through uh, the Center for Optimal Brain Integration. And this woman who is a marriage and family therapist started this company. Anyhow, through this certification... I knew a little bit about trauma, but I really did a deep dive into trauma. And in the beginning of the apprenticeship with her, and this was monthly meetings, a lot of readings, a lot of writings, I felt like I was back in college. I let her know that I was currently um, designing wellness centers, student wellness centers for middle schools and high schools. And she wrote back immediately this long email and said, we have so much to talk about and here's this document and you are allowed to use it. And it was uh, a document called Trauma Informed Room Design. And so I'd like to share with you what that document that would be great. States what trauma informed environment design is. And it says it's realizing how the physical environment affects an individual's sense of identity, worth, dignity, and provides empowerment and a sense of control, predictability, and safety. Wow. That's the first R. The second R is recognizing that the physical environment has an impact on attitude, mood, and behavior, and that there is a strong link between our physiological state, our emotional state, and the physical environment. And the last R is responding. Responding by designing and maintaining supportive, predictable, and healing environments for trauma-experienced clients to resist re-traumatization or re-triggering. Wow. That's a, a lot of information. But, but podcast listeners, you're going to have to hit your rewind button right, on right, that. Right, right, right. 20 uh, seconds back. And, and it, Okay, or they can look up. It comes out of the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. That's their definition. Mm-hmm. And you started, I think, by asking me my own definition mm-hmm. would be... That's a difficult one um, for me to really say what my definition is. But what I think about is I recently developed a training on trauma responsive room design for preschool age children. And what I start out by telling educators is you may never know if a child has experienced trauma. That might not be shared with the educators. And so my thought is you should design a space that uses all of these elements because it's actually universally good for all children, Mm -hmm. but especially those who have experienced trauma. So that's the beautiful part about this is it's good for everyone. It's universal, but it's really, really supportive and healing for those children or students who have experienced trauma. 
That's great. You know, one of the passion points for me that you and I have talked about, just so our listeners know, so Susan and, and I, our teams collectively have been working on these wellness centers for middle schoolers and high schoolers and basically normalizing mental health so mm -hmm. we can create a space where kids can go in their school that's they're not going because they've done something wrong. They're not going because there's something bad. They're going because it's a place where they can just decompress. They can learn how to regulate. They can learn tools for mm -hmm. self-soothing. If they do need to have conflict resolution, they can be there. But we want to normalize it in a way that just like every school has a cafeteria, mm -hmm. they can also have a, a well space. So those, those are some of the projects we're working on together. But for me, a Design with Purpose nonprofit, the inception of our nonprofit came out of two things, kind of a twofold, where we, in the luxury design world, on the for-profit side of our business, we realized that there was a need that we were taking all of these somewhat new, brand new or semi-new items out of these luxury homes. Well, how can we repackage, mm -hmm. repurpose, and reuse these in a different way? So we started you know, thinking, well, we can put these in homes for children that are less advantaged. We can create a healing environment for them. And initially we partnered with different organizations to try to do that uh, before starting our own nonprofit. But then the twofold part of it is that I myself am a child of early childhood trauma. So it was for me kind of a, the perfect storm of how mm -hmm. do we create this nonprofit that services kids in the bigger picture that really helps to elevate the next generation, give them the tools that they need. Because I look back and go, gosh, if I had had some of these tools or had I known that. And back then, you know, there wasn't a lot of the science around no. this. There wasn't the data to show. So for me, this is a real, it's more than a passion project, which I was on the phone with uh, one of our partners for a nonprofit the other day saying, this is not just a passion project. This is my life's work. This mm -hmm. is this is my calling. calling. Exactly. <laughs> So it's, it, it resonates. Like I want to have you on the show, like over and over and over again to keep talking about this. <laughs> Do deep dives on yes, different. Because I so. feel like in each one of these things today, we're trying to give a general overview of not only our relationship, but what you do. And, and what, you know, this might be the first time somebody even hears the term trauma informed design. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important for us to talk about, to your point, you know, just using some of these tools and the spaces that we're designing, whether we're using it, we use it in homes, mm -hmm. large residents, right. we use it in offices, doctor offices. I mentioned veterinarian mm -hmm. clinics. Well, the more you know, the more you do, right? right. Maya Angelou, when you know right. better, you do better. Do better. Right. <laughs> so it's one of my favorite quotes. In fact, that quote is in one of my design trainings because I provide so much information to educators when I do trainings on classroom design or I call it learning spaces. I don't want them to feel bad, and I want them to know, like, when they're exactly what you said. So I put that quote in mm -hmm. my training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because almost because yeah. so I, I can imagine. Tell me if I'm wrong, but when you're teaching this stuff, some of it does sound like, well, gosh, that is a little bit no brainer. Why mm -hmm. haven't we been mm -hmm. doing exactly. that? Exactly. But nobody's yeah. really raised yes. the flag to right. say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Right. We don't need to have these little prison cells. Yes, and the other thing I and I know I'm kind of veering off, but. The other thing I stress in all of my design trainings, because I've developed several different design trainings around certain topics, like trauma, I, I mentioned, um, social emotional learning, universal design for learning. These are all education initiatives that are mm -hmm. currently going on and in education. But I always tell them that even the smallest changes can have the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. I want 
educators to know it doesn't take a lot of money and it doesn't take huge change mm -hmm. to have an impact on children or students. We've been saying the same thing in some of our, even our high-end residential homes, the mm -hmm. clients that we work with. We're bringing not only trauma-informed design practices to our our design within the home, but then also the purified, the home, mm -hmm. the approach to the purified mm -hmm. home, whether that's clean water, clean air, because a, a lot of these toxins, and ex, not, this is again another rabbit hole, but yeah. a lot of these exterior yeah. toxins yeah. can trigger some of mm -hmm. these traumas. So there's little things that we can do within mm -hmm. every home or every office or every environment that we're creating mm -hmm. just to tip the scale slightly. Right. And that's what we're trying to do as well. Sounds like a healing home. Yes, and exactly. That's one of my favorite theories or philosophies is biophilic design. Mm -hmm. And you and I have talked about it plenty. And, you know, I, I collected a lot of research from the healthcare arena on using biophilic design in hospitals. And then I stumbled upon the tragedy that happened at Sandy Hook Elementary mm -hmm. School. And they decided to demolish the old building. You know, think about the memories that were there, mm -hmm. or the trauma. Mm -hmm. And demolishing the old elementary school and rebuilding it using biophilic design, and they call it a healing school. Mm -hmm. Instead of really using the word trauma, they mm -hmm. use the term healing, and I love that. And I think every space should be a healing space. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You and I have talked about that, and that's really important to us. I think creating healing spaces, that's that's the real life work mm -hmm. when we talk yes. about the calling. Yes. That's what it's about mm -hmm. and how we're all connected. I'm curious, I just shared with you, you know, kind of what motivates my calling or my passion that I did have some early childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. So it really strikes a chord when I when I see the mm -hmm. littles and I want to help them. Um, but not just the littles, all of them, all, and, and right, the adults, right. anybody. Yes. I mean, we're all kind of walking wounded, yes. aren't we, in some sense? Right. So trauma is such a personal thing. Mm -hmm. Is that one of your drivers? I mean, what, and you don't, not with that, we don't have to get too personal, mm -hmm. but what have you overcome to be where you are today and what's really brought you here? Because this is a really a kind of a full circle moment with you being able to kind of marry your education background mm -hmm. with your design work and how these two work together. Mm -hmm. um, loaded question. I, yeah, right? loaded question. I, I don't know if you're familiar with ACEs. Yes, very. Yes, very. yes. ACEs. It came out of a study from Kaiser years ago, and it stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And basically, there are 10 questions, and each one is an adverse experience. And so I know that I've scored a four on it, which is really kind of meaning I had some adverse experiences in my childhood that I could have gone in another direction. I don't know what saved me and what... I guess I do know I'm really resilient. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if I'm naturally born resilient because knowing from an educator standpoint, and I have taught child development classes at college, resiliency can be built. So I can't pinpoint one time mm -hmm. when I built that resiliency, but I do bounce back really quickly. And maybe it's partly to do with my temperament, my outlook on life, but I have had plenty of experiences that were not favorable in my childhood. And, but I, I also think the work that I do is I have an altruistic outlook or yeah. I think some people just have that altruism mm -hmm. in them. And I want to always give, give back. I want to be a helper. Me too. Um, and I yeah. think that's a big healing component, mm -hmm. don't you? I mm -hmm. think being 
I'm altruistic, but then also idealistic. Mm -hmm. So I always see that there can be a better way. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to looking at, you know, especially in my business, I mean, everything's a problem if you want to look at it that way. That's (laughs) true. Or you can just say, I'm in the solution finding business. That's right. So I feel like we're here to solve. I tell clients every problem is solvable. I, that, (laughs) wow, we are so much alike because when I have worked with, teachers and I, I've done a number of consulting jobs where a district, a school district has hired me and I go out and I start building a relationship with teachers. But my ultimate job is to try to get teachers to change their classroom environment and make it less overstimulating and so on and so forth. And I always start with the relationship with teachers. And there was this one time in particular where this group of teachers, they were just very negative and everything was a problem and they just couldn't see, you know, past their blinders. And I just said one time, you know, there's a solution for every single problem. And I'm a person that loves to be challenged. So I I can come up with a solution, you know, for every Mm -hmm. negative barrier that they had, I would come up with a solution. But right, right. I know. And so much of it is just Mm -hmm. how your perspective. Yeah. And I do think those of us which I'd like to have you back on to talk more about the ACEs. I don't want to skip okay. over that just as quickly as we did, just so listeners know, because that is really important. Just as a side note, there is mm-hmm. a lot of science and data to back mm-hmm. up, you know, that people that have had adverse childhood experiences, you know, it leads them to drugs or mm-hmm. to violence or mm-hmm. to um, be- yeah. poor behavior. Incarceration. Of any kind. So, to your point poor of relationships. Saying, yeah. yes, I had plenty of adverse experiences mm-hmm. or trauma in my own childhood. I'm not sure how I got here. Mm-hmm. I could also say the same thing. I mean, there's some things I know for sure how I got here. Okay. Right. But there's Therapy. other things. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a, lot, a good therapist. Yeah. Yes. And a number of other things. But I think that the awareness and mm-hmm. the willingness to do mm-hmm. the work, having some self-awareness. And then that is the key component mm-hmm. too, to mm-hmm. also being able to help, to not stay stuck, but mm-hmm. also to move forward and know that you can help people mm-hmm. and fall back into that altruistic, you know, this is this is where I want the momentum to go, not, right. not stuck in the past. Right. Um, so, But I would like to have you back on to talk more about that and almost every single subject that we're talking about today. I feel like... I'm so immersed in what we're talking about that I've hardly let poor Colton over here say a word. And you should know right off the bat that Colton is a triplet. Oh, so yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's really cool. I know, right? As somebody that has done so much uh, science and researched Mm -hmm. so much science and data with early childhood Mm -hmm. and looking at, and I think about, and Colton was raised primarily by a single mom. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. you talk about some early, wow. some adverse yeah. childhood experiences. She, he, these guys, he's got a brother and a sister, and I have no doubt that they put her through the ringer. Yep, two boys and a boss, and we definitely put my mom through the <laughs> ringer. It was, uh, but you know, did was, you say it, two boys and a boss? Yeah, yeah two boys and a boss. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I know. But yeah, I mean, I've been so intrigued by this conversation too. It's just. You know, it's very relatable and applicable to everyone because mm-hmm. everyone goes through the education system too. Mm-hmm. So that's true. Yeah. So for all of our listeners, you know, this mm-hmm. definitely means something in your life. But what I want to talk about now is like, you know, there's just so many challenges that come with working in the education or working mm-hmm. with the education system. So what would you say right now is your biggest challenge? Time. Time. Time and technology. Technology is just so, I think that's what 
keeps us really busy. We're all like just so stretched. I think everyone I'm working with and around and myself, we just take on so much. And I think a lot of it has to do with technology, having these computers on in our hands and, um, it's so funny not to derail Mm -hmm, but I was having a conversation a design conversation yesterday about another project that we're working on and one of the things came up well we could put cameras in the room and then people could see it on their phones and they could you know and it went on and on and on I'm like yeah in theory that's true but I'm not sure technology is quite caught up to isn't it just as easy to have a window in the room so somebody could just look right there and see if somebody's in the room as opposed to you gotta go down the hall and get your phone and turn. I mean, there's a there comes a time where technology is great, but right. common sense is awesome. <laughs> like, yes, something mm-hmm. might be and a little. Know, easy. I I always say, even in design with schools, or and I want to go back just really briefly. What you said, Colton, mm-hmm. is also this. What I think I'm talking about here is also applicable to home environments with any parents or people with maybe designing children's spaces in a residential. But I always say, I like going back to basics, especially with children, a lot with children, but what you're saying about the cameras. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we can use pencil and paper still. We can use our eyes still. And there's, I think there's so many benefits to that. I like working with my hands. I do arts and crafts all the time. And well, I'm an artist, Mm -hmm. but I also do a lot of crafty type thing. So I, I just feel good when I work with my hands. I do I too. <laughs> I even tell the designers here, we, we throw projects back and forth to each other. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just like to pull out, you know, the trash paper and just mm-hmm. sketch on it and draw because sometimes yeah. there's something really magical about the hand to paper right. experience. Right. And you're using your brain differently right. than you are on a device mm-hmm. or on your computer. Yes. So I think letting the creativity flow right. also keeps us back in yeah. touch with and keeps us a little mm-hmm. more grounded, keeps us connected to spirit, et cetera, et cetera. And as a student, too, I mean, it helps retain information. Like if I'm taking notes in a class, right. I'm going to remember it better if I wrote it down on a piece of paper than if mm-hmm. I typed it into mm-hmm. a Word document. Yeah. Or whatnot. Yes. So technology you would consider is kind of your... A challenge? Yeah. yeah, actually, I don't know if it's because there's this crossroads happening or where I'm getting older... And so I feel myself slowing down, which I don't want to slow down, but it's it's happening, and technology is speeding up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's just, I was teaching when the pandemic hit, I was teaching at um, Fullerton College, and I had to go from in-person teaching, which I love too, because I, I'm a social being, and I had to go to virtual teaching, and then they changed the platform too at the college. Like, oh, now we have a new platform. So it was something new I had to learn. But anyways, always new and improved technology. And I feel it, it's challenging. I, I love it because it it does allow us to do a lot of things, our research, our um, how we love to. I'm I'm such a curious person. I'm always Googling, oh, what what's this? What's that? And, <laughs> but I also think that it's, making us work a lot harder, you know, versus I can remember back in the day when, you know, you just, you, you didn't have to respond right away to email or you weren't accessible all day long, every day. Can you imagine Colton, you could just go surf and nobody expected you to call them back or answer an email on the spot. And now I have an Apple watch. So I I still have to respond when I'm in the water. (laughs) That's right. In the water. Oh my gosh. See what I mean? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) 
Exactly <laughs> the point. And if people don't hear back from you, they're like, what happened to you? Like in a short amount of time, right. it's like, well, gosh, maybe I'm on vacation or maybe I'm surfing, you know? And then there's find my friends too, where everyone knows where you are. To, oh, yeah. At a oh, moment's yeah. notice I don't too. Know that. So, yeah. Oh, I have a huge list of people that yeah. <laughs> have my location yeah. and sometimes uh, I wish mm-hmm. I didn't. <laughs> a chip in your neck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Well, moving on, I'd like to talk about, you know, just some advice that you would give to your younger self. So is there any advice you'd give to your younger self? Yes. (laughs) She's like, where do I start? I don't believe in regrets. I don't have any regrets. I know I've done a lot of things wrong and I would have done a lot of things differently, but I also believe that what I have been through has led me to where I am and I'm happy with that. But I would... Uh, Going back to what Dina said earlier about children already knowing when they're young what career path they want to go on, I think that we could do a better job in public education or in schools of really observing children, what their interests are, and helping them find that career path. Because I, I stumbled, I'm really creative and artsy. But in education, when I started the first two decades, I didn't know I was creative. And it, it, you know, like Dina mentioned in my bio, first 20 years, educator. And then the past 20 years, I married design and education together. But I wish I would have started in arts early on, in some kind of Mm -hmm. creative endeavor early in my life. I also think that as creatives, especially, I think it's gotten better, but I think as creatives, when we were younger, a lot of people were, well, that's cute, but mm-hmm. what are you going to do with mm-hmm. that? It's not going to make money. No, it's you got to get to be a hobby. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's a cute hobby, yeah. but you, you need to figure out like what job are you going to get at right. the factory? What's going to mm-hmm. give you a pension? What's mm-hmm. going to give you benefits? Like, all that other stuff is fun. Do that on the side. Right. As opposed to fostering what that could mm-hmm. be. You know, I think had my parents known, you know, the type of living I could make being a creative person back then, they might have fostered it a little bit more. But it took a long time to go. Same with you. It right. took a long time for me to embrace this is who I am. Mm-hmm. This is the only way I'm going to be able mm-hmm. to make a living. I've heard other artists and creatives and designers say, I couldn't do anything else. I just right. couldn't. And every time right. I tried, I was like, oh, this is a nightmare. Yeah. So it's really just embracing the best part of you and mm-hmm. and and learning how to foster that energy within yourself, mm-hmm. even if other people can't see right. it or don't understand it. And that's no disparagement to that generation or the generation right. before them. That's just how it was right. back then. Right. There wasn't an opportunity mm-hmm. for you to go be an artist or designer or whatever. Right. Those were usually careers you fell into because yes. of need. That's what I, I would go back and tell my younger self to pursue being a creative Mm -hmm. and pursue Mm -hmm. the arts and see where that leads. And I also think that's another thing. Now that I've reached a certain age and stage in my life, I have more financial freedom where I do take these little paths and I'm just like, where is this going to go? Where? And I started a little side business and where is that going to lead me? Mm -hmm. And I didn't have that luxury when I was younger because of finances Mm -hmm. and, 
or time and or both. Mm-hmm. And also, I think I think resources mm-hmm. is important as you get older, but also the confidence. Mm-hmm. That's I didn't true. have the confidence when You're I was right. younger to jump out and start mm-hmm. a business or to think that I could do it. Right. It took me, you know, I kind of took a little hiatus. I agree. I don't think that there's regrets really. There's just mm-hmm. life lessons. But I, you know, took a detour, worked in corporate America for a little bit. I look at that as a learning experience. Mm-hmm. I learned I learned about a P&L. I mm-hmm. learned, you know, how to take a public a company right. public. I learned a lot of things yes. about running a business. But that set me up for success in my own business. It is interesting the choices we make when we're younger based out of mm-hmm. you know the lack mentality, mm-hmm. you know, lack of resources or lack of confidence right. or lack of whatever. Yeah. And as you get older, you realize this is just one big experience. Right. I may as well just walk through the door and try to create the experience I want. Right. I love that you said lack of confidence because that is so true and I didn't think about that. But even as an amateur artist, sometimes I don't there's a book called Show Your Work. And I don't like to show my work because you're putting yourself out there. And that's what you do, I'm sure, every day. But you strike me as a person that's totally confident. But I know you were talking about when you were younger and having lack of confidence. No, but it's still every day. I mean, when you're presenting to clients, Mm -hmm. and I'm also an artist, uh, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm jokingly, it's my hobby. No, but that's kind of my, I am an artist deep, Mm -hmm. and I work, our design businesses run like an artist. Mm -hmm. I I think of everything that we do as a work of art. Mm -hmm. And so I put that thought into it. But I have the same nerves, same, it's Mm -hmm. almost like when somebody talks about getting on stage, Mm -hmm. that never really goes away. Every client that I present to, every endeavor that we choose to have, yeah. then, then it's the same bunch of nerves that shows All up. <laughs> no, I, mean, it I does. think they're good in a way. I do. Totally. I think that helps you. Yeah. If you were too confident and you didn't have those nerves, you know, I think maybe that's when you stumble and fall or I don't know, just don't always take those little moments to improve upon. Mm-hmm. I think of my brother who was a professional baseball player way mm-hmm. back years ago and he would he would have a really good game, but he would pick his game apart. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's what made him better than the next time. And I'm like that too, quite a bit with, yeah. with my own work. I could be my own work worst critic, which isn't good, but I yeah, think but it, it also makes you really good at what you do. Yeah, it sharpens you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, recently I was listening to Brene Brown, mm-hmm. social scientist, Doctor Ed Brown, and she was talking about that a lot of these things come up in business similar to relationships because it is some of that early childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, at the end of the day that, that little Susan or Mm -hmm. little Dina or little Colton, you know, (laughs) seeking out that. So what is it? You know, you have to go, well, gosh, at some point, logically your mind has to go, well, I've been doing this for over 25 years. Mm -hmm. I must know something. Yes. (laughs) You know, you kind of have to talk yourself down and go, Okay, well, I do, and it's just like us talking about being, you know, science nerds. Well, there's enough data to now show that my right. track record is here. Yes, yes. You know, it's self talk. I mean, I use self talk all the time. I'm my, right. you know, my own therapist now. Exactly. Yeah. I have enough therapy, you become your own therapist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I could help my therapist, I knew it was time for me to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Susan. Yes. Where are you headed next? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And there are so many things that are always swimming around my head. 
and not enough time going back to what I mentioned earlier. That's one of my biggest challenges mm -hmm. is having enough time to do everything I want to do. I was approached by the woman who trained me on trauma-informed practices on um, doing some work with her, partnering with her on doing some training. Uh, she wants to do a blog post on me. And actually, she made a really good offer of almost getting, oh, what is it called when you write a book? Getting published. Um, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. Credit. Uh, residuals. <laughs> oh, like, nice. Okay, so she would record me doing a training on trauma-informed room design, mm -hmm. and she puts it on this platform, and for everyone who purchases it, I would get a large percentage like of it. that training. I like it Let's too. Do more of that. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I just have to work on that. I told her, can't right now. I have to, you know, wait till the summertime. Mm -hmm. And um, so that would be one thing. I I do want to write a book. I started a book years ago and shelved it for a while. There's another woman that I'm an acquaintance of who does a lot of early childhood room design. And she's written, I think she's on her seventh book, and she's talking to me about possibly co-authoring a book with her. Yes. Wow. And mm -hmm. we talked to you about contributing to the book that we're mm -hmm. working on for Design with Purpose. I would love it. I think yeah. getting published is in your future yes. for sure. Yes. In many ways. I'm excited for you. Thank you. I just have to find the time. You will. I know. I it will. shows up, yes. right? It does. It does. I know a couple of writers from a woman's group I... I used to belong to, and it was really ironic that it wasn't a woman's group for creatives, but almost 100% of the women in there were creatives, and a couple of them were writers, and they said they actually met in Pelican Hill mm -hmm. at the, you know, the little bar and seating area that has the fireplace. Mm -hmm. Anyways, they would go there to write. I guess some people go to Starbucks or whatever, but... Um, some people go for martinis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could do both. Your writing might go in a different direction. But anyhow, I just I think the idea of getting away from your home to do something like that. Mm -hmm. I like it too. Yeah. I'm all about a workshop. I go to all okay. kinds of spiritual yeah. retreats, mm -hmm. workshops, whether it's a three-day, mm -hmm. the longest one I've done is for a month. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really have that luxury anymore, mm -hmm. but I, any chance I can get to go away to retreat is very, yeah. very important. And I think as a creative, that's something that's also mm -hmm. underestimated because mm -hmm. we give so much of ourselves. And then you and I have also both talked that we're both introverts. Mm -hmm. And so it's draining, it's mm -hmm. exhausting. And so I do need that time to go and yeah. recharge to then be able to turn yeah. around and show up yeah. again and show up in my work and show right. up for the clients and the nonprofit and everything mm -hmm. else that we do. I'm curious, who has been your most important professional mentor? Well, I have people who inspire me. I don't think I have any mentors, although I told you about the Reggio Emilia yes. approach to early mm -hmm. childhood education. And one of the teachers, I met her at a conference one time and I, I went up and I was like a fangirl and she's in her 90s from Italy. But I, I, I don't know that I have a mentor. I, I can share some people who inspire me. One person is Sabella Court. And she's authored several books. I have some of her books, Gypsy, Nomad, etc. And she is from Australia, but she used to 
live and work in New York City. So I also have her book called The Stylist's Guide to New York City. That's why I went to New York City the first time. And she used to work for anthropology. But I love her books I could go to for inspiration all of the time. And uh, a couple other people, Jill Sharp on Instagram, and a woman who's from Denmark. She's been all over the place. And talk about a creative. She is not an interior designer, but she I think she quasi does it. But she is a fashion designer, jewelry designer, and now artist. I mean, she sells her paintings and now her pottery. And her name is Maylene Berger. Mm. And I love her books. They're delicious. I and oh my um, gosh, I can't wait. I'm yeah. making a note right Move now. Move and Work is the book I have. They're big books. Um, I mean, large in size. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she she's currently living in Mallorca. It just has a dream life too. You just Mallorca, please. Can yes. we go visit? Yes. Hello. <laughs> let's let's connect with her. She's amazing. <laughs> Sounds so amazing. I have people that inspire me yeah. and, and books and but I love traveling too and that inspires me. What are two books aside from the one you just mentioned? Actually you just mentioned two, so maybe this question's <laughs> But two two books you'd recommend for our audience and why? Maybe two books specifically. Yeah, on. Um, okay. I see you pointing there. I brought one. I was thinking you might want to invest in the third teacher. Seventy nine ways you can use design to transform teaching and learning. This book, you'll oh. see, it's falling apart. Oh, and you've talked about this amazing. book so much. Yes, I am going to invest in this. Yes, I think everybody should invest in that book if you're going to be. Designing learning spaces of any sort, residential, school environments. And I think it was written by a former furniture designer or maybe a current furniture designer, school furniture mm, mm -hmm. designer, and an architect, if I'm correct. And then there's this other book that's called The Language of School Design. It's kind of old now. Um, Design Patterns for the 21st Century Schools is the subtitle. And I do not know how this gentleman, Prakash Nair, I'm probably butchering his name. <laughs> he He's co-authored this book with a couple of others. We'll put it has, in the show notes so it's there easy you for everybody to see. He has a lot of articles that you can Google, and he does a lot with school design. And very innovative. Like, I think one of the things, it's been a while since I've looked through this book or read read the book. He calls little areas in schools, he refers to them like, like we have been putting the egg chairs in the wellness spaces. Mm -hmm. He refers to a singular space as the caves mm -hmm. in a school. And then he has the campfires. And then he has the watering holes. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the, he's just referring to those social spaces or isolation spaces he is very innovative. I'm going to definitely invest in this as well. You know, I think one of the things I'm sure that you struggle with is too, when we go into some of these public schools, you know, we're only doing one space, which mm -hmm. I feel grateful and fortunate mm -hmm. that we have right. the opportunity to do. But I know when you and I are there look doing right. the spaces, we're looking around going, oh my gosh, if I could only get my hands on this uh, whole school, right, this whole right. building. The whole building. Even when I go in the bathroom, oh, this bathroom could use some sprucing up. Or I mean... Walking through the office, yes. Feels like little prisons. Mm -hmm. It does. Mm -hmm. And I will say in public education, because I've been a public educator for a couple of decades, and there 
is never enough money and that's a big factor. So that's why a lot of times the jobs I've gotten with school districts, I've done mostly consulting and just helping teachers redesign their room with what they have and uh, not a lot of money. And to that point, you know, we we mentioned our nonprofit design with purpose. Mm-hmm. I do want our listeners to understand that we are a 501c3. We do have a partnership with Children's Hospital of Orange County and a partnership with Orange County Department of Education to create these well spaces that we're talking about. But it is all nonprofit. So we are always looking for donations or funders. We do have large funders for some of the rooms that we're doing, but we're really on a mission to do what started out as every room in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Most recently, we've been talking about rooms in LA. And then, of course, I like to paint the, you know, have the North Star vision, as, as our colleague and friend says, what's our moonshot mm-hmm. of doing every school in the nation? Mm-hmm. I would really like to, mm-hmm. to know that every child in the nation has a safe space to go to, right. to work through some of their their issues right. or just a safe space period. A right. lot of these kids don't have that mm-hmm. that luxury of going home to a safe environment mm-hmm. and this could be the only time right. of day that they have a place to go and right. be and feel safe. Right. And like you said earlier, our vision I know is that just like every school has a library and a cafeteria and the school office, every school should have a well space, a wellness area and for staff and mm-hmm. for staff, not just students, because we know how hard educators work. And this whole pandemic has really done a number on on the uh, amount of work that they've well, had to do. Well, and it's trickle down too, mm-hmm. because, you know, we've been finishing these rooms and then mm-hmm. we see the the reward. And I mean, we've seen teachers and mm-hmm. principals crying, administrators mm-hmm. crying, and, and just so grateful mm-hmm. for the work that we're doing. But it's because for them, they are working so hard Mm -hmm. every day, to your point, with very little budget, Mm -hmm. very little resources, and doing the very best that they can just to stay above water for these kids. Mm -hmm. So if we can give them some sense of relief too, Mm -hmm. so these spaces are not only intended for the kids, but also the administrators so that everybody feels like they have a place to decompress. Right. The staff. Yeah, the staff. It's multi-use space really is what we've seen happen is that staff will go in after hours when students are gone, teachers can go in and use the space, use it for meetings. So there's a lot of different ways the spaces can be used, but all around healing and wellness Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that self-care. I do a lot of self-care trainings too. And some of the things that we put in the well spaces remind me of, you know, self-care. Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. is it mindful coloring or is it listening to calming music and mm-hmm. just taking a moment for yourself to really. I'm glad you brought that up because we touched mm-hmm. on the well spaces and what they're like. But so our listeners know, you know, these well spaces, we do have focus groups where the kids get to weigh in on what these spaces look like and feel like. And they, they often have strong opinions about that. And even down to specifics like colors and whatnot. Uh, and then to our point earlier, we take in a lot of data and, mm-hmm. and research to really create the best, most inviting environment for them. But we're also using different techniques. Susan had touched on the egg chair. Why don't you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about what that chair does? The egg chair, everybody loves it. Everybody. I I told you, Dina, when I walked in today, I just set up another wellness center yesterday and the school, the office manager came in and was curled up in a ball in it. And (laughs) said, now her daughter is 24 and she sent her a picture and said she wants one now. But 
It's interesting how our colleague is the one who suggested it, but when she got one at home, I said, you know, there's this book that's called The Secret Spaces of Childhood. Now think about your childhood, Colton, your childhood, Mm. how as a child you like to go under the table or build forts and and bring blankets, you know, Mm -hmm. around furniture and make these spaces. I even see children when I'm out shopping, going into the little rounders where clothing, they want to get into these little secret spaces. And when our colleague bought one at home at this egg chair, I said, well, you know, that's really interesting because children like that too. And my theory is it's almost like going back to utero. I don't know. Exactly. It's like mm-hmm. the rocking, you know, right? The rocking, the the, the safety, closure, the right. safety, even though people can see you in it. And then I read this one article about the egg chair and it says it wraps you in a hug. Yes. And isn't that a nice thought? Yes. It it really does. It just envelops your whole body almost and you can just curl up in it. They're really large. The ones we use mm-hmm. are really large and you can just, you know, curl up in it completely and and that's one of many examples of things that we're using with regard to tapping into some of the trauma-informed design techniques. I think also something we should touch on is, you know, in these spaces, and we're doing some of this in the a medical center I was talking about mm-hmm. earlier, we're providing QR codes. It doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to be QR codes so mm-hmm. people know. But, you know, for instance, you could tap on a QR code and learn what three minutes of mindful movement, mm-hmm. three minutes of yoga will do for you, or three minutes of breath work. Susan had touched on some coloring or mm-hmm. music or or other... Sand gardens. Sand gardens, and right. Water painting. There's mm-hmm. lots of tools. And, and to our point earlier, these are also little things that you mm-hmm. can bring into your classroom, you could bring mm-hmm. into your homes that don't cost a lot mm-hmm. and can provide quite a bit of relief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Aromatherapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much out there. Yesterday, actually, when I was at the school site, a teacher walked in and said that there is a student there who has Tourette's, I think she said, and they discovered that lavender calms him. And we all know that lavender is calming, but he carries it around with him. I love that. Isn't that cool? I love hearing stories when I'm out there at the school site. I do too, because then it just goes to show. Mm -hmm. And I was just discussing last week with some of our colleagues that, you know, we really need to button up this data collection Mm -hmm. so we can start Mm -hmm. to see. Yes. Antidote. Exactly. Yes. 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 Those are the types Mm -hmm. of things we need more of. Like our colleague, I don't know if you heard this, maybe when we last met, you heard our colleague share that she recently took a school district from another county through a wellness space and the assistant principal there who actually was overseeing the project said, I don't know what we ever did without this. Mm. I don't know if you heard that. I know. I love that too. Like they have seen such a noticeable difference. Like what did they do without that space? It's exactly. Yes. I wish we could collect data on absenteeism Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Well, we are collecting data. Yeah, we are. And specifically, you know, we had also talked, so our listeners know, and maybe I should have prefaced the entire podcast with this, but the suicide rates are up Mm -hmm. 41% with with mm-hmm. middle schoolers and high schoolers, mm-hmm. and it has become somewhat of an epidemic. Mm-hmm. So I think just being able to right. gauge and right. gather data to see that we're making a dent Difference, in that, and yes. for them to understand that that is not yes. a normal right. solution, that is not right. That should not be right. something that is even considered as an option. Right. It's become so right. 
normalized for some reason. You know, speaking on that, I and me coming from child development, the littles that you Mm -hmm. said, I really think we should even start earlier than middle school and high school. I know that this is where we're at right now, Mm -hmm. but the more we can teach preschoolers, kindergartners, elementary age Mm -hmm. students, how to self-regulate, how to use materials and breathing and movement and all these things we know work, how that will stick with them. And Mm -hmm. it's actually prevention or preventative. So I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Yeah. Before we leave Orange County, we'll start all of those schools. And it's going in the book too, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yes. No, I love that. And I, I feel like just the more kids we can reach in mm-hmm. general, the more that we can co- help course correct. You know, you and right, I talked about right. not knowing necessarily that there was one thing that got us on the mm-hmm. right path, but we could have just as easily been the kids that had problems with drugs or mm-hmm. or, oh, absolutely. or uh, violence yeah, or right. criminal past. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, clearly there's a direct link between early childhood trauma and our prison systems. Right. So... Don't yeah, get me like, started on that podcast. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, yeah. It's, well, the, just real quick, that you uh, years ago I was at some big meeting and and um, it was shared that our government puts more money into prisoners, like the daily upkeep of prisoners, I guess, for, for lack of a better word, like feeding and clothing, and than students mm-hmm. in our educational system. So that's pretty sad. Sorry to end on that no, sad note well that is sad maybe you cut that out <laughs> no no, no i think it's something people need to hear okay we're not okay. going to end on that note okay. we're going to end on just a couple rapid fire things okay just real quick oh okay favorite color oh i hate favorites of anything because yeah. i love everything <laughs> okay but answer. i would say blue i would say blue okay. right now in the moment but it changes i love blue because the I ocean love blue too because you uh, like to see my eyes oh you're i am I too all of us have blue eyes okay we're in the blue club yes could be the thing we look at the most every day they say that you're attracted to people physically that look like you because oh, that's yeah. the face that you look at the most oh that makes sense <laughs> familiarity that's what Ooh, dr bruce perry is it <laughs> he he talks about familiarity yes, in early yes. childhood yeah yeah okay there's another book mm-hmm. uh what's on your playlist right now i don't have a playlist what are you listening well, I guess to? You I'm old, okay, music. I'm old school, and I still have pin Pandora. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, or I'm talking about how fast technology. technology changes. So I listen to a lot of '70s music, a lot of '70s rock mm. is okay. classic rock, Southern rock. Yes, me yes. too. Yes, I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know what I'll play next time you're at my okay. house. Okay, <laughs> what book are you reading right now? I have actually. I'm using technology. There's a an app called Libby, and it hooks up to your local public library. Oh, how cool. But the only thing is that the books are always checked out, and so you get on this wait list. So let's see. I am waiting on... I have holds right now on To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, cool. And it's the audio book, and it's read by Sissy Spacek. Oh, So nice. I, I found out that that got great reviews. And then the next one in the queue is Daisy Jones and the Six. Mm. I heard great things about that. And then The Storyteller by, I can't read because I don't have my glasses on, but he's the original drummer from Nirvana. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that one got great reviews too. So, But 
this you have to wait a while if you don't if you go through the public library. That's David Grohl, right? That's him. Yeah. That's him. Yeah, he's uh, Foo, and Fighters. Foo Fighters. There you yeah. go. Yeah, Taylor <laughs> Hawkins grew up here. Uh, oh, yeah, but yeah. R.I.P. Taylor. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. And we're in Laguna Beach too, so you know. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's all I had for. It. <laughs> I didn't know he grew up here. Thank you. For, yes. I know, but I knew he passed away. Recently. His mom That's used to sad. live next door to me. Oh. Favorite mindless activity and guilty pleasure. Shopping. <laughs> well, it's kind of a, a job now because I started the vintage retail business. So I shop at estate sales all the time. And then I would say going on Instagram, but that's, that is a guilty pleasure, but I feel really guilty. Awful I'm getting, about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting really tired of it, but I follow mostly creatives on Instagram and I do get inspired, but there's a tipping point mm-hmm. where I'm too saturated mm-hmm. from it, you know, and that I feel like it's it's not serving me well. No, agree. Mm-hmm. Agree. So. And what's one question that we didn't ask that you wish that we would have and oh. how would you have responded? Oh, that's really interesting. That's something I can't <laughs> think that quickly. <laughs> of. Like, that was a lot. That was, what did I wish you asked? Well, I think we asked a lot. So who was I you. in my past life? Oh, yeah. oh no. <laughs> yes. And who wasn't? I don't know. <laughs> oh, but if... I ha- if I could get hypnotized by mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is going to- <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm Brian, I'm Brian Weiss who yes, wrote many yes, lives, many yes, masters. Yes, then I would know if I could get go to him and get hypnotized. Oh, you don't have if to. If he go could to do Dr. past Weiss. life regression, yes, mm. yes. My sister and I went to a couple workshops mm-hmm. one time mm-hmm. and did it. It was very interesting. Mm-hmm. We were actually connected in many lives yeah. together. Yeah, that's what his book talks about. We, yeah. we stay in the same circles, he yes, says. Yes. Yeah. It was very, very interesting. Yeah. Some of it, yeah, this is another podcast altogether, yeah. but some of it was really cool. Like, I mean, we were really poor in one, mm-hmm. and she was having different experiences, and I was too, but in some of them, we were together mm-hmm. very clearly. Mm-hmm. It was very, very cool. Yeah. We did that here. I'll have to give you the information. I went to one one time, but I could not get hypnotized. I, I don't, I'm too in my head, I think. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. couldn't get hypnotized. I was just talking about this this morning with my aunt. I'm actually, I wouldn't think that I am. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because I've had years and years of practice with beta and theta and mm-hmm. like really, I can go pretty deep in mm-hmm. a meditative state. So now I'm pretty pretty good. good you can hypnotize me pretty easily oh, wow. <laughs> yeah yeah so you know there's a lot going on yeah. with neuro-linguistic programming mm-hmm. right now that mm-hmm. kind of stuff and helping people get out of their own way mm-hmm. uh, another tool for helping mm-hmm. overcome trauma right etc so we should talk more about yes that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. one of my favorite was dr wayne dyer dr oh, wayne yeah. dyer and one time he said guru just means gee you are you yes. because he didn't really like people who they yeah. became famous for yeah yeah but but i i love uh he was a mentor for me by the way and dr dyer dr dyer yeah so when my when i was younger and going through some of the Mm -hmm. not necessarily going through some of the trauma but trying to outrun it and outthink Mm -hmm. it and outsmart it Mm -hmm. i remember thinking to myself as like a 13 year old kid like i don't want to forget all of these things but i i don't want them to define my mm-hmm. future that's so wise of you at 13 tell me about it in hindsight i used to pray that prayer at night wow. and how i knew to pray that prayer yeah. i have no idea that was something beyond me and for the good fortune 
and blessing of my life that turned out to mm -hmm. be true because I hung on to that as mm -hmm. a mantra. But I found a Wayne Dyer book on my mom's bookshelf and it was Your Erroneous Zones mm -hmm. and then he had a, another audio book called How to Be a No Limit Person and Pulling Your Own Strings. Mm -hmm. Those three books changed my life, mm -hmm. the trajectory completely. Wow. And, you know, different psychologists sometimes, you know, he gets, you know, sometimes he... Some people say he's sold out or whatever, but I thought he did an exceptional job mm -hmm. of breaking down really difficult conversations into layman's terms mm -hmm. and making it really digestible for everybody. And certainly made it digestible for a 13-year-old wow. to realize, yeah. hey, I'm in I'm in the driver's seat here and I can create yeah. any destiny yeah. I want. Right. I knew then. Yeah. I used to have a lot of his books on CD back then when we used CD. <laughs> Colton's and like, I, what's a CD? <laughs> you know, those <laughs> compact discs. And I drove quite a ways for my job, like over an hour. Sometimes it would be two hours with accidents on the freeway. And I would listen to those over and over and over to where I could quote them. Mm -hmm. But I loved when he, and this was when he was older, because I know his books sort of his, changed his, over he, the years, he evolved, but he was very eclectic and he would gather all this information from great leaders and spiritual leaders. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I love that. Like, um, I did too. That's mm -hmm. one of the things I liked about his writing is mm -hmm. that, you know, he, he was started out as psychologist. It was mm -hmm. Dr. Dyer and it was very mm -hmm. psych oriented. And then as he evolved spiritually, mm -hmm. you know, you could see that in his writing too. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was so well connected, I thought, and just mm -hmm. that whole evolution. And I think we all go through that. Right. For me, I started out on that search, mm -hmm. uh, my own seeking, you know, wanting to understand the psychological effects of what was happening and right. psychological parameters. And then I grew emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, I had him as a resource and other yeah. writers and yeah. other doctors and yeah. personal doctors. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the therapist. Same, same. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No, this uh, has been great, Susan. Thank you so thank much you. for taking that time this afternoon to spend with us. We no, really I, appreciate I love it. it. I loved it. I'm not joking just, when I say we're going to have you back okay. multiple times. <laughs> you know, there's right. a couple subjects we touched on today. Yeah. Today was just a nice overview mm -hmm. of what you do. But what I would like to do is spend some time going into some of these subjects mm -hmm. in a little bit more depth. I think ultimately, too, we had talked about wanting to reach as many kids as we can. Mm -hmm. But I think if we can also start to make this a little more turnkey, you know, we're creating well spaces here, mm -hmm. but I would like to ultimately show people how to create their own well spaces, right? And right. whether it's in their schools mm -hmm. or in their homes or wherever. And I think collectively we can mm -hmm. continue on that mission together mm -hmm. by having some more of these conversations. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. You're awesome. We love you. Thanks. I can talk, talk to you, you for days. Bye. <laughs>